Father, it's a prayer. A prayer that we hope to keep, a, a prayer that we intend to keep, and Lord, it's not always that easy to say that we will go wherever you lead. God, I pray that by your strength, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we will go wherever you lead us. That that will be our one intent, our one path to follow you. As we look at Scripture this morning, we see that all of our ideas, all of our achievements, all of our ways of thinking that we have succeeded are nothing compared to you, to, to following you, to going where you tell us to go. And Lord, I pray that we would do that. As we come to your word this morning, let us hear from you. Lord, we repent of our sins that would hinder our hearing your call, our hearing your word. We confess those to you, pray that you would cleanse us and prepare us to leave here changed because of the time spent with you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take your Bibles, paper, electronic. I don't know of any other options at the moment. And turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you're at home watching us, go get your cup of coffee and then get back to your couch so you can see us or take your phone with you when you go fill up the coffee cup. This morning we're looking at Philippians 3, 4 through 9. Uh, really 4b through 9. It's, we split that verse in half last week. It ended in our previous section and it's going to begin this second section. In fact, all of this is one long sentence for Paul. He liked long sentences, and, and, and we're in the midst of one of them, but we have to have places to stop to take a breath and to look at what he said. So this is where we're stopping today. It's the vile and the valuable is the title of this message. Now, there were other options for the, the title. Um, I thought about a couple of them. Uh, I thought about the flushable and the fantastic um, I thought about the excrement and the excellent, but Etta told me I wasn't 10 years old, so I had to go with the more mature-sounding title, the vile and the vulnerable. But you get the point, right? There's, Paul is making a huge, huge distinction between what his culture, what his world, what, what his what he at one time thought was the absolute most important things in life, certainly the most positive, the most credit-gaining aspects of life, and what really, truly, absolutely matters. And he calls things that uh, were good on the surface considers them now to be vile, or some of your translations in verse uh, 
9 will be, will say, uh, I'm sorry, verse 8 will say dung or refuse or garbage or, I don't think any of your translations say excrement or flushable, but that's what he's talking about. It's a huge, huge distinction. So I would get you to think about as we begin the, this morning, what's the most positive thing in your life? What is that thing, that, and, and, and maybe it's not valuable monetarily, uh, maybe it's, it's valuable emotionally, maybe it's valuable psychologically, maybe, uh, but, but the, the thing that, that is, uh, the, the thing that, that you maybe care about most and, and would fight hardest to keep or, or assume is extremely important for life as you know it. What is that thing or those things? And would you be willing to consider it a negative for Jesus? To use Paul's language, what do you think in your life is a gain, a plus, but you must actually consider it a loss, a, a, a minus in your life? That's what Paul is talking about here. He's coming off the heels of talking about watching out for the dogs, watching out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, watch out for those who would come into the church and say, there's something in addition to the gospel you need to do in order to truly be a good, right-standing Christian. It's not just faith, it's faith and it's it's legalism it's it's a list uh, of things and for these folks it was probably just one or two more things but if it's one or two more it might as well be a million more as far as how it creates a false gospel paul's just come off the heels of that and now he's telling them i know uh, of that which i speak i've been there as a matter of fact he's going to say i got all the diplomas, the paperwork, the credentials, and the scars to prove that I have the best argument of anybody. Let's see what he says. Chapter 3 of Philippians, the second half of verse 4. If you have a period in verse 4, it's uh, right before the word if. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith really only have two points in my message this morning. If you have your 
Faith Life uh, apps out and the, the bulletin there that should have been the first choice uh, among your activity, you'll see that there are two major points, the, the vile and the valuable. That's just what we're going to talk about this morning. The application is pretty straightforward when we get to the end. As a matter of fact, this morning's message is much more just one long message of application than it is uh, as much biblical understanding. We'll talk about some points, but we're just going to apply this as we move through it. Paul first talks about the vile. The, there are seven aspects of his life that he mentions in verses, uh, verse, verses 5 and 6 that he considers worthless now, of no value when compared to Jesus. But he begins in that first half of verse 4 by saying what, I've already, uh, what I said earlier. If anybody, and he's, he's talking about the people that might come to the church, what he, that he's expecting to come to the church in Philippi, and, and bring this false gospel. Remember, we've talked about how he, uh, he's already had to deal with it in the church in Galatia, who they've actually shown up and brought the false gospel to the church. And he said it, it, it's likely going to happen here in Philippi. They tended to follow Paul around and, and, and add to the gospel. He says, if anybody shows up and, and, and they, they come to you with all of their knowledge, I mean, in Galatians, he says, it doesn't matter who comes and preaches a different gospel to you. If it's an angel from heaven, don't believe them. It's a false gospel. But he tells them, if they come and they've got all the, the, the diplomas, all the degrees, all the credentials, they look good and sound good and, 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 and they speak well and they have this great argument, <laughs> they ain't got nothing on me, Paul says. And he says in other letters, it's stupid to brag. Uh, he, he, he admits that in a few places, but then he'll say, but there are times when I need to let you know something that sounds like bragging that's not. It's just, here's, here are the facts, and here's why the facts matter, and, and, and ultimately they don't matter. So he says, if anybody shows up and says they, they've got it all figured out, that they have all the credentials, I have more, he says. And then he lists these seven aspects of his life. He first says, circumcised the eighth day. He was, his family did exactly what they were supposed to uh, when he was born. Eighth days, he took the mark he was supposed to be. We would say that was his religion. He was born into it. He had never been anything but a Jew, religiously. We would say we were... Uh, Crib baby Baptists. We, I, that was me. I, I have never been, for any length other than visiting, I have never been a part of any church but a Southern Baptist church. I am a crib baby Baptist. And Paul says, I got the credential. They, they want to show up and say that, I got it. I, I, I am everything that you would expect a Jew to be. I've got the right label. He goes on to say, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. All right? He's got the nationality he's supposed to have. He, no one but Jews called themselves nation of Israel or Israelites. That was a name they used for themselves. Everybody else called them Jews. 
but they were Israelites. We are, we are from that guy, Israel, Jacob. He is the one we look back to. That's, that's our forefather. And, and, and they were proud of that nationality. And we would say, we would come through this with Paul, and today we would say, we're Americans. We, we have freedom. We, have, uh, the, every, we are the most blessed country on earth. We are blessed people because we are Americans. And it is very true. And people from all over the world come to our country to be a part of the freedoms that we have. He could bank on that nationality, and he did, and they would. But notice what heading we're under. This is the vial. These are those things that he inherited. He had nothing to do with. He inherited his religion. He was born into Judaism. He inherited his nationality. He had nothing to do with that. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin, which for us, that, that doesn't mean much. It meant a lot to them. It's, it's the family he was a part of, the family name. I mean, if, if, if your last name is Disney, everybody immediately associates you with a, a, a lot of movies and a couple of theme parks. Now, you may not be at all related, or at least so far back, nobody would care to the Disney, but yet that name carries something with it. Paul says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Not only was I born into the right religion, not only was I born with the right nationality, but I am of the right family. Benjamin was the only son of Jacob, the son of, only son of Israel, born in the promised land. The other 11 were born as he was wandering around. Benjamin was born in the promised land. Benjamin was one was the only other tribe that sided with David and the tribe of Judah, of which David was a part, when the monarchy split and you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that I've talked about in the past. The first king of Israel, Saul, that Paul was named for, Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin. This was an historic family name that he carried. He had all of the community standing that he needed. Everybody looked up to and was impressed by the tribe of Benjamin. It was also a very small tribe. It, it, it wasn't big, so it had this, um, oh, this uniqueness about it. It wasn't one of these huge, oh, there's a bunch of them. It was really small. So if you, were, if you could prove your lineage into that small tribe, that was pretty impressive. That was Paul, he had the family, and then he kind of wraps it all up by saying he was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. That's a, a little bit of an all-encompassing statement, but it's just talking about his status. He was the ideal picture of what you would expect a Jewish preacher to be. As a matter of fact, this, this whole idea of Hebrew born of Hebrews, is he, it's not only his status, but it's his purity. His family wasn't of some other religion and came into Judaism at some point, and neither did he. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. All the way back, they had been 
of the Jewish faith, of the Jewish nationality, of the family of Benjamin. He was the ideal. And those were the things he was born with. As he grew, as he progressed, it says regarding the law, a Pharisee, he had all the knowledge. He could answer all of the questions. It was the Pharisees so often that were trying to trick Jesus by asking these uh, um, well, trick questions. They, oh, if he answers this, we got him. If he answers this, we got him. And of course, they never got him uh, because he was Jesus and he always knew and he always had the right answer. But that was what they were trying to do because they, they knew. They, they had it. They were smart. They were quick. They could come up with the answers. They could, they could turn a remark. They could turn your words on you over and over. They knew it. But the Pharisees also saw themselves as the protectors of the faith. They were the protectors of of the tradition of Judaism. They, they were the ones to make sure everybody followed it the right way. This is what we do in church. This is how we do temple. This is how we do synagogue. And we don't do it any other way. This is how it's always been done. This is how we're going to continue to do it. They had all the knowledge, and he was one of them. This small group, only about 6,000 Pharisees, at the time, and he was one of them. And he was not just one of them, he was one of the best of them. One of the brightest, smartest, learned under Gamaliel, who we see in Acts. We learn about in Acts, and we've talked about when we went through Acts. Verse 6, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, he was passionate about his religion. He was passionate about doing it the right way. He was passionate about making sure nobody else did it the wrong way. If you're going to do Judaism a different way than the way Judaism is supposed to be done, we're going to take you out. And in his case, literally, he was part of the terrorist organization that killed Christians. And he was fine with that. No one was more strict than Paul. No one was more offended by any variation from the religion as it had been handed down than Paul, even to the point of having people killed for it. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless, the end of verse 6. He knew all the rules, and he followed all the rules. 620-something rules. I think 621. Now, that doesn't mean that he always did it exactly perfectly. It doesn't mean that he didn't accidentally touch somebody that was unclean and, or something like that. But when he did, he always fixed it the right way. He went through all the processes. When it came to following the rules, he did it. And from all outward appearances, he would have been considered perfect except paul is not talking about here right standing with god or righteousness as it discusses god's character but he is merely talking about right living people looked at paul they would say well paul's a good guy paul lives right. Paul doesn't do anything wrong. Well, he, he's nice and, and he, he gives and he, he does this and he does that. He does all the things right. 
outwardly. Dresses right. We talked about drinking this morning in our Connect group. He, he doesn't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, and certainly doesn't go with girls that do, right? I mean, he, he's got all the outside appearances. Now, the interesting thing about this, these seven aspects, and, and what the, the Judaizers, the ones who would come in and try to convince the church that they needed to add to the gospel to be saved, what these seven things would do would make it actually easier to be a Christian in Rome. And that's where the Judaizers, as we read Galatians especially, but also in Philippians, that's where they would hook the people in the church. You're being persecuted for being a Christian, right? Well, Rome doesn't really like Christians, but Jews are fine. So, you know, if you would just look more Jewish, if you would act more Jewish, if you would follow the laws, if you would do all the things you're supposed to do, not only would your salvation be secure because you were becoming a Jew like we told you you were supposed to, but you would also avoid persecution from Rome. Now, wouldn't that be nice? And all seven of those things would do that. And remember, he's talking to a church that is beginning to suffer some persecution. He's begun with the persecution that he is experiencing in Rome right now as he writes this letter. So that would have made it attractive. These might be some good ideas then, they would say. And Paul says, no. These things are vile. These things I consider vile when I compare them to the valuable. Now, at this point in the passage, at this point in the verse, I would imagine the reader, probably Epaphroditus, pausing here for just a second, maybe a little longer, maybe letting it hang in the air to let the people hear how good Paul was. I mean, you could, you could kind of hear him saying, Church, Philippi, Paul, here's what he says to y'all. He says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. And he does, doesn't he? Here's his list. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. I can imagine him just letting that hang there for a second. And the people in the church going, yeah. Because the Epaphroditus wouldn't have had to explain what he meant by any of that. Like, like I had to go through that and read about it and catch up with it. And, oh, okay, that's what that means. That was, they'd all gotten it. They'd have understood what he was talking about. And he just lets it hang there. For a moment of tension, the church begins to wonder... Do we have to be all those things to be right with God too? That doesn't sound right, but why would Paul tell us this if, if, this, if we're not supposed to imitate or emulate this? If, if we're not supposed to also try to be all these things? And, and we're Gentiles, so we can't be Jew, Hebrews of Hebrews, but if we could at least begin to kind of look like them, both physically and in how we 
act and, and what we do, gosh, maybe, maybe we should. Well, there's no period there, so maybe Epaphroditus didn't do that. Probably if he was mean, he did. Or if he was just trying to make a point. But Paul goes on and talks about the valuable. Verse 7, But everything that was a gain to me, and he's using these accounting terms. Everything, and I don't, I don't understand accounting. It's numbers, which already throws me off. And then it's adding and subtracting them, which makes it worse. I, I really need Carol to come down here and explain exactly what this means. But I'm going to try. Everything I consider gain, everything that I, have, I, I would have put in my credit column. I have learned enough dealing with the budget for this last year or year and a half. That, that, that credits are good and, and debits are bad. Credits is the money you have coming in and debits is the money you have going out. And, and ideally, you have more credits than debits. Um, we've not met the ideal quite yet, but we're working on it. More credits than debits is your goal. And you certainly don't want to get into a situation where you have all debits and no credits because then you're in a negative situation, not just by comparison, but now we're talking about debt and, and, and bankruptcy and, and, and major, major issues. And Paul says, everything that I used to line up when I would do the balance sheet of my life, any, everything that I used to line up on my spreadsheet in the credit section, this is valuable, this is positive, this is something that I want to hold on to because it means something I have taken that entire block and I have put it in the debit section. It is actually costing me. And, and the way he phrases this, it's actually more along the lines of, it's not just a debit in that it takes away my credit, but if you think about he just if you had a million dollars on your credit side, and you spent a million dollars, you'd have zero. The way he phrases, is it, phrases it is not that I took the million dollars and I spent it, but I took the million dollars away, and now I have zero. And then I put the million dollars on the debit side, and now I have a negative one million. You see the difference? He, it's not a baseline nothing. It's a baseline debt is the way he is presenting this. And I, Carol may be just pulling her hair out because I totally blew all accounting terminology and rules there, but hopefully y'all understand why, what I'm saying. Did I, did I even get close, Carol? Okay, uh, she's nodding yes that I, I got close, so that, that's good. All of that that was gain, it's now a negative. It's now loss. It actually hurts me i mean it's bad to be at zero right it's worse to be at negative a million i'll take zero over negative a million any day he says it, it's all worthless because of christ what is truly valuable to paul well i found six there may have been more well, I actually found seven. Uh, there may have been more in here. 
but uh, they don't, they're not one-to-one correspondence to the seven he mentioned that were of the flesh. But some of them kind of go along with it, kind of mirror, or maybe the opposite. First of all, he says, strictly because of Jesus, I consider it a loss. Strictly because he exists. Jesus himself, Paul is saying, is more precious than anything we have. Anything that I could accumulate, anything I inherited, any of my knowledge, no matter what titles, doesn't matter my religion, nationality, family status, knowledge, passion, or the rules, just the fact that Jesus exists is a credit that negates everything else that I have. But Paul doesn't stop at the existence of Jesus. He, con- he continues. Everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss, a negative, in view of the surpassing value. See, there are the words that I use. Surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he could have stopped and said, everything's worthless compared to just the fact that Jesus is. But, but he, 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 he isn't just. He lets me know him. So now he exists, and he lets me have a relationship with him. Everything compared to that is a loss. We get to know God in the flesh, Paul says. And everything else goes into the loss column at that point. Surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of him, Paul goes on to say, middle of verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things. Now, he was still circumcised on the eighth day. He was still the nation of Israel. He was still of the tribe of Benjamin. He was still a Hebrew of Hebrews. Regarding the law, he had still been a Pharisee. He had still shown the passion of persecuting Christians, and he was still completely righteous as it came to the law itself. So he had not truly lost those things. But as far as their value in life, he had lost them. And he says he had suffered that loss. Folks, this was no easy switch for Paul. It was not, not easy for him to turn his back, for lack of a better term, on who he was. His family, Gamaliel, the man who had taught him all of this. Honestly, it would have been easier had he not, right? Life, he gave up wealth, he gave up status, gave up position, gave up all of this to suffer for Jesus. Hey, Paul, I need you to give all this up so you can go die. Hmm. Can we negotiate that swap, that trade, a little bit? No, no, no. You're going to be abused, you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be beaten and caned and stoned and shipwrecked, and then you're going to be executed. And I'm taking everything good in your li- that you think is good in your life away from you to do that. I mean, that's just not a good trade. And yet Paul says, no, 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 actually, 
I, I replaced everything. Everything that I thought was good was actually a negative. The only thing good in my life was Christ. And part of that was suffering for Him. We get to suffer for Jesus. Folks, the, religious liberty is a big conversation in our country right now. I, with an election coming up and with medical masks and, and everything in between, I love the fact that we worship here on Sunday morning without fear of interference from the government telling me what I can and can't preach, whether we can be a church, whether this is a sanctioned religion or not. We have incredible and unprecedented freedoms in our country. Our relationship with Jesus is more valuable than religious liberty. If tomorrow the government came and said, we either take away your religious liberty or you deny Jesus, I would hope we would all say, see you, liberty. I'm going with Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what we have to do. It is more important. Paul had all the religious liberty he wanted as a Jew in Rome. They had incredible religious liberty in Rome. They could try their own cases. They could do everything except execute somebody. That was the line that Rome drew. Otherwise, that's your stuff, go for it, whatever. We don't care. To become a Christian, to follow Jesus, threw all of that away. And they became hated and persecuted, burned at the stake, fed to wild animals, when they could have fallen back into, as Paul says, this outward expression so that they didn't suffer the persecution. Paul says, I consider persecution a positive, a plus in my account, a credit, a gain, rather than the loss of what I was. Gaining Jesus is the next one. He, I have suffered, uh, end of verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung, considered them as, uh, of, uh, as, as vile. That word there is, can be translated either dung, like you're thinking, or actually could be translated refuse, which is another word, which actually is probably the better word because it's the stuff that you threw out in the street. It was the trash you threw out in the street for the dogs to eat. Now, that makes sense because he just said uh, just a few minutes ago, last week for us, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the unclean ones that will come around and try to uh, uh, bring in this false gospel. This false gospel, he's saying, is the trash that those dogs eat. That's, that's the image that he gets as he goes through this. He says, I've considered them as dung, as refuse, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. That I may gain Jesus. It is a credit to gain Jesus. It is better than anything else to gain Jesus. None of those seven things Paul mentioned gain anything valuable when it comes to Jesus. Starting in verse 5, going through the end of verse 6, none of those mattered to following Jesus. Not one. Didn't make you a better Christian, didn't make you right with God, nothing. 
And as a matter of fact, he's using the same word, and it's intentional uh, when he says that I may gain Christ, because he's already said way back in chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain, because I get to be with Jesus at that point. The ultimate gaining is death. And he says, gaining on earth is to lose everything you have for Jesus. Number five, life in Jesus. The valuable is life in Jesus. That I may gain Christ, it says in verse 9, be found in Him. We've talked about that little phrase, in Him, both when we uh, went through Ephesians and a couple of times now as we've gone through Philippians. That is to live in the sphere of Christ's influence, to live in the shadow of Jesus, to live under the wing of Jesus, he says. All of this stuff that I had pales. It is vile compared to the fact that I now get to live in Jesus. And he's kind of building to a crescendo here. Verse 9, Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, which, you know, he's already said, according to the law, regarding the righteousness is in the law, he's blameless. I'm not worried about that anymore in verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but the one that is through faith in Christ. What is valuable is our faith in Christ, our point of change through salvation. That's what faith in Christ is. It is that moment where we say, no longer do I put my faith in these things, in what's going on, and in, in what I can do, either what I've inherited or what I've achieved, but my faith is now in Jesus, and that is when we experience salvation. And he ends it in verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Righteousness of God, righteousness from God, which is the result of of our faith and salvation. We are declared right with God. Today, as a sinner, as one who still struggles with his sin, I am declared right with God right now. If I die right now, heart attack, boom, fall out behind this pulpit, ain't nothing you can do by the time you get here, I'm already gone, no, no chest compressions, no mouth to mouth, nothing's bringing me back. I go and I stand before the Lord cleansed because of my relationship with Jesus. Yesterday's sins, this morning's sins, Friday's sins, though they, dis they disrupt my spiritual walk, though they hinder my communication with the Lord, they do not keep me from Him. I am declared right today, and every believer is. It's not just me. I ain't bragging. It's you too if you are a believer in Christ. And it has nothing to do with what I did. It's not the result of inheritance that Paul talks about in the first four of those aspects in verse 5. It's, it has nothing to do with his work that he talks about at the end of verse 5 and verse 6, those things he achieved in life. It has nothing to do with that. It is all about his faith in Christ. The vile the religion, nationality, family status, knowledge, and passion and rules when compared to the valuable that is Jesus. Let me point out one more thing to you. Paul did not say all those things, the seven that he credits as loss, or, or he counts as loss. He did not say those were loss. 
He did not say those were useless. He did not say those things were unimportant. He just said they're not the most important. So, so what should I do? With this message this morning, consider everything that isn't Jesus expendable, dispensable, disposable, and unessential. And those words all mean the same thing. I just want you to hear it in four different ways. If it doesn't have to do with Jesus, it's not important. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not useful, right? It's, they're just not anywhere close to the most, most important. And we hold those things that we find important, not with a closed fist, but with an open hand. So God can say, I'm taking this one and this one and this one because you don't need them. What you need is something I'm going to give you. And I'm going to put other things in your hand. And those are the things you hold on to. So whatever God gives you, you hold tightly to. And whatever you've done and you find important, you hold loosely. And say, this is yours. And he may take some things from your gain column and put them in your loss column. And we have to say, great. We will do that and we will say we're fine with it after some whining, right? And a little bit of, but, and, but can we, and maybe a little negotiation. But then we back off and we say, everything I have considered gain, I now count as loss. For the value, for the existence of Jesus, for knowing Jesus, for suffering for Jesus, for gaining Jesus, for life in Jesus, for faith in Jesus, and for the righteousness that I have from God. Maybe your second thing to do today, and really this is the first thing, is to gain Christ, to be found in Him through faith. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you don't even understand what this faith idea is. Is How do I have faith in Jesus? Well, we begin with the very word faith. We understand that we need forgiveness of our sin. And, and that's where we start. I, I'm a sinner and I am in need of forgiveness. We need to understand that that forgiveness is available to anyone who would ask. Anyone who would come to God and say, Lord, I want to be forgiven of my sin. My sin. It is available through Jesus Christ. That's why he came, was to bring forgiveness of sin. Sin is a problem because it is impossible for God and sin to coexist. We will never make it to heaven. We will never spend an eternity with him in our sinful state. It cannot happen. won't happen. So Jesus did something about the sin problem that separated us and God. And he did that on the cross. By dying on the cross for your sin and taking your sin as uh, away from you and, and taking the punishment for your sin. But just because that forgiveness is available, it's not automatic. You don't just get forgiveness because you were born. Instead, you have to turn from your sin. You have to repent and no longer live that life. And you don't just turn from something and suddenly, oh, well, what do I do now? You are turning to Jesus and you are placing your faith in Him. And then you are promised heaven. You're promised forgiveness of sin. You're promised the ability to see God face to face. And in the case of our church family members who have gone on uh, to be with the Lord this week, we get to see them again too. 
that's the promise. But it's not just the promise of, of heaven someday, it's the promise of heaven today. The promise that we can have an abundant life today in Christ because of our relationship with Him. He will be there for us. And He will carry us through those times of loss, whether it's a family member, those times of pandemic, or those times when we have to take something from our credit column and put it into our debit column and see our life suddenly, in our minds, go negative when, in fact, God is doing something great that is more positive than we could ever imagine. That's what Jesus can do for you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word to, to speak hope, to speak truth, and yes, to speak faith. And Lord, may we be willing to take those things in our lives that, that we have put in the value column and move it to the vile column and say, if, if, if that is what you're taking from me, if that is not what I need in my life to be more like you, to serve you better, to, to uh, contribute to your kingdom, to serve the purpose you have called me to, then I will move that into that column and consider it loss, negative, and unnecessary in my life. Lord, use us, what we're saying is use us in whatever way you see fit however you deem necessary, Lord. There's someone here this morning, someone watching online that doesn't know Jesus is their Savior. I pray for their heart to be softened and be drawn to you today, that they will pray a simple prayer of repentance, placing their faith and trust in you, asking them, asking you to save them, and Lord, they will turn their lives over to you and be involved in a church, whether it's this one or another one, that preaches the Bible and disciples believers, and they can grow in faith as well. Lord, we thank you for working in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have a decision that you need to make this morning, some response to the Lord, we encourage you to fill out the connection card on Faith Life and let us know about that. Uh, if you're at home watching and you want to uh, message us on Facebook, that would be great. Facebook, YouTube, send us an email, however you want to do it. We'd love to hear about what the Lord is doing with you. If you'd like to pray, the uh, rails will be open for you to come do that. Uh, maybe you want to grab somebody at the end of the service and ask them to pray with you. That would be great too. But in these next few moments, we're going to worship and we're going to hear from the Lord as he speaks to us and we allow him to do business with us today.